You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on December 3, 2023, presented by Rev. Chris Duke. We're going to read from Romans chapter 12, verses 3 to 8. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly, highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing, According to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come together to worship you. We thank you that we can read your word. We thank you for these words of Paul. We ask, Lord, that as we consider them, that you would speak to us, teach us, show us more of yourself and how we should live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we come to chapter 12 of Romans and uh, from Romans 12 through to 15, Uh, Paul outlines how we should live out our Christian lives. In the first two verses, Paul wants us to live our lives for God. He wants you and I to give ourselves to God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. When a person comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, when that person receives Christ as Lord and Saviour, it's not just about giving your heart to Jesus. Jesus wants more than that. Paul is talking about your whole self, body and soul, your whole life commitment to live for God. So often Christians often think that you can have a private and you can have a personal relationship with God with no further impact on how you live. And People often think that your Christian faith uh, doesn't have an impact on how you should live that your Christian faith doesn't impact on how husbands and wives and children and neighbours should relate to one another. Some think that if your relationship with God is personal, then it doesn't overflow into other areas of life and it has no impact. But Paul refutes this idea. This is not the way our faith ought to be. Your Christian faith, my Christian faith, ought to pervade every aspect of your life and my life. In fact, it's faith that emanates from the mind. 
from the mind to the heart. He wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. When it's moved from the head, that is our head knowledge, to our heart, to our inner being, to our whole being, to transform who we are, to be the people that God wants us to be. And so as we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul states how we should relate to other believers. How does grace work out in the life of God's family? And Paul is not only speaking to first century Roman Christians here, he's speaking to us here today, right now. How should we relate to one another and how should we serve one another? As Christians, how should we use the gifts, the abilities and the resources that we have to help one another? In verse 3, I want us to look at the area of humility. In verses 4 to 5, I want us to look at the communion of the saints, this idea of the communion of the saints. And then in verses 5 to 8, I want us to look at the purpose of spiritual gifts. It's very interesting, but Paul knows that grace can lead to pride, unless we're careful. Grace, God's grace should not lead or should not allow us to become proud. But even though God blesses us with his grace, sin may yet tarnish and corrupt. And Paul knows that grace sometimes leads to spiritual pride and he warns against it. Against it, And he endeavours here to encourage us that grace should lead to humility. In verse 3 he says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. And here Paul leads by example. He's speaking here, of course, he's an apostle and he's telling these Roman Christians that he himself has been given the grace of apostleship. None of us here has been given the grace of apostleship, although there would be some today who would dispute that. Not here in this church, I don't think. None of us here have been given the gift of prophecy as Paul had this gift. We can name many other gifts that Paul was given that we don't have. Paul's emphasis that in light of the grace given to him, those graces that God gave him had not led him into a spiritual pride but had cultivated humility in his being. To back up Paul's humility in other parts of Scripture, he describes in his letters as the least of the apostles. And, of course, he refers to himself as the chief of sinners. Paul the apostle was confident in what the Lord had called him to do. He had confidence in his calling, in his relationship with the true and living God, but he wasn't puffed up with pride. Now, this is wonderful when you consider the spiritual gifting that Paul the Apostle was given. 
It's important, therefore, that we should not be puffed up by the spiritual graces that God gives us. Rather, we should be thankful <coughs> and humble. <coughs> of course, Paul has the right to tell us that he's been given grace upon grace and by God's grace, I have not cultivated a, a spirit of spiritual pride but of humility. Therefore, cultivate humility. Paul isn't asking us to do something that he hasn't done himself. Paul is saying to us Christians that we should serve one another because of humility. Grace ought to cause, cause us to be humble. And so when Paul says in verse 3, for I say through the grace given to me to everyone. Now, as he begins this sentence, it seems that among some in the Roman church, some are allowing spiritual pride to get the best of them. They've received spiritual gifts, they've received graces, and for some of them these gifts and graces have led them to become spiritually proud. And Paul is therefore addressing pride and he's addressing selfishness. He wants to deal with the problem of an overinflated ego. And in addition to selfishness of looking out for number one that often follows an overinflated ego, Paul desires that we cultivate another attitude, not one of being self-centred, but rather humbled and desiring to serve one another. And therefore he says, For I say, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He's not asking to see who among us can put yourself down the most. Okay, don't go to the other extreme. He's not asking you to doubt your confidence in your faith and to have self-doubts, all Paul is asking is for you to have a self-assessment. And so he's asking you to be real. We need to know and realise that every gift we have is just that. It's a gift of God. You didn't create that gift in yourself. God created that gift in you. But nevertheless, God wants us to be mindful of what our gifts are. It's from this acknowledgement, this kind of humility, that our Christian service to others can grow. Now, in earlier days, uh, much earlier days now, when I look back, my family used to hold film nights in our church hall. We do this for about seven or eight months of the year when the weather was, it got dark at light and when there wasn't daylight saving and uh, we conducted uh, the showing of gospel films for many years on an old technology today on a 16mm um, Ballenhauer projector and we presented a challenge to all after the showing of each film as the gospel was presented. Now people from all over Ballarat, that's my hometown, came to these nights and whilst there were plenty of fellow friends my age in the church, all the work of setting up and packing up always landed on a very, very small few. Sadly for some, my friends, it was beneath them to stack a chair or wash and dry crockery or 
or maybe serve a cup of tea to someone. When we can learn to serve others, God will use us more effectively in ministry, whatever our ministry is, whatever our service is. The grace that God has given each of us may indeed lead to humility. It's humility that Paul desires to see cultivated in the heart of every believer. We ought to serve one another out of humility. And then Paul speaks in verses 4 to 5 about the communion of the saints. Now, that, those words aren't mentioned in verses 4 to 5, so let's see where we get that idea from. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You see, as we have many members in one body, this is the com communion of saints. This is the community of saints. As such, we should serve one another. Now, here is something to ponder. Our diversity is to be used for the unity. Let's try and explain this statement. Our diversity is to be used for unity. In verse 4, Paul asks us to consider two things at the same time. First, he reminds us that we are part of one body, which is the body of Christ, which is the church. And secondly, he reminds us that we are not the same. We have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. We're part of one body, but we're not the same. Now, we live in a day and age where equality is the catch cry. We live in the age of egalitarianism. And the egalitarian says, if you tell that people have different functions, you're robbing them of equality. For example, if you say that a woman cannot be a preacher, you're robbing her of equality with men because she can't perform the same function. The logic that follows is that sameness of function means real equality. But Paul comes along here and says, I want you to understand that we are one, but we do not share the same functions. And Paul strongly asserts that Christian unity is rightly understood when it is rightly understood it does not underscore the differences that exist among believers. The differences among believers in Christ are not to underscore the reality of Christian unity. Differences, of course, can underscore Christian unity, but Paul is saying they ought not to. In verse 4, Paul is saying that unity does not mean sameness. Just because we're all part of God's family doesn't mean that I am you and you are me. Now, you should be thankful for that. You're me, you're you, and I'm me. And I'm not you, and you're not me. And that's perfectly okay. Okay? 
Paul isn't saying that Christian salvation transforms us into a bunch of interchangeable units. It doesn't because we're all different. We continue to be distinct personalities. We continue to have distinct gifts. Our gifts are to be used in such a way that our unity isn't disrupted because of the differences between us. Unity does not mean sameness. And secondly, it says unity does not mean interchangeability. One size doesn't fit all in the kingdom of God. There are differing gifts. And Paul stresses this in verse 4. All the members do not have the same function. He stresses it again in verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. In the body of Christ, in the church, there are differing gifts. Not everyone, not everybody in the body has the same set of gifts. And finally, unity does not mean that we are unable to differentiate between members of the kingdom. Unity doesn't mean that we can't differentiate between members of the kingdom. You know, there are non-transferable functions that we have. Can you think of any? Now, this is not a spiritual gift. This is just a fact of life. I can't bear a child. I'm not made to do it. I don't have the biology to do it. No man here has that ability. But in the church, as spiritual gifts are given out, we have different gifts. We have different responsibilities in the kingdom of God. And now in verse 5, Paul wants us to know that there is diversity in our unity and that we belong to one another. There is diversity in our unity and we belong to one another. Verse 5 says this, So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And Paul is saying just because we are different doesn't mean that we lack unity. Being diverse doesn't mean disunity. Even though we're different, we're part of one. We're in the same body of Christ. Not only are we one body in Christ, each of us belongs to one another. Now, just ponder that thought. This is a challenging thought. Each to live for the other. Now, if this really hasn't hit home right at this moment, yet we're being re reminded of the reality of the communion of the saints. We are one and we belong to one another. We're part of one another and we are in a shared fellowship of life because of our union in Jesus Christ. Yes, we're different. Now, some of us are very different. But we are for one another and we are to live for one another. Now, this is a, really, a real challenge in our age of individualism. I'm an individual. You can't fool me. What a terrible song that was that Mark Jackson sang years ago. What a dreadful song it was. We think first of oneself. And then we think of our own family. 
And then everybody else is way down the list. And Paul is encouraging us to remember that we are part of the body of Christ. Now this body is the greatest spiritual reality of fellowship that we could ever possibly conceive. In this one body, we have a wonderful spiritual family to care for and we ought to serve one another because of the reality of being in that body. So the impetus for the Christian is to serve because of humility, because of the communion of the saints. And finally, when we look at verses 6 to 8, Paul says that Christians are to serve one another because the spiritual gifts given to us by God are meant for service in the body. Spiritual gifts are meant for the body of Christ. We serve one another because of humility. We serve one another because we are in this body, this communion of saints. We serve one another because the spiritual gifts that God gives to us are for service in the body and service to the body. In the body, in the church, of course, there are differences of functions amongst believers. Verse 6, Paul says that since we have different spiritual uh, gifts and since we receive those gifts from a very gracious God, we ought to use them for his glory. That is for the edification of the saints, for the building up of the body. And Paul is saying in verse 6 that the Christian church is charismatic. So don't raise your hands all at once. The word charisma tells us to contemplate that our ability to edify one another in the church is a singular manifestation of the work of the sovereign Holy Spirit in our lives. Your ability to edify one another does not derive from natural abilities or powers. Your ability derives from spiritually gifted graces. That's what it means for the church to be charismatic. Not necessarily speaking in tongues or prophesying or even raising hands. Being charismatic means being indwelt by and gifted through the Holy Spirit for ministry to serve one another. And Paul's emphasis that we have gifts that differ remind us that the Pentecostal idea that all Christians ought to be able to speak in tongues is not biblical because Paul's whole emphasis is that Christians have differing gifts. And now in verses 6 to 8, Paul lists seven gifts. The list is not a complete list. You'll find other lists elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, but he gives this list of gifts as examples of gifts given to the church by the Holy Spirit. Now the first gift is prophecy, the ability to speak the direct words of revelation from God. But what does Paul say about this? The Roman church would have had people who had the ability to prophesy, to convey a special revelation directly from God to the church. And Paul says this, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. 
the prophet must be as a person of faith and show his trust and obedience to God's word. Paul doesn't want to see a person who claims to be a prophet pronouncing the words of God and yet who doesn't live in accordance with God's word. And, of course, this can happen. And the next gift listed is ministry in verse 7. In other versions of the Bible you might see it as service. You might see instead of the word ministry, the word service. Ministry is all about service. If you have the gift of serving, if you have the gift of ministering, then use it. Don't wait for someone to honour you. Don't think, well, I'd like to have a more prominent gift even. Prophecy would really get me some more status, would it not? If you have the gift of service, serve. If you have the gift of ministering, then minister. Just do it. The next list of this teaching, Paul says in verse 7, he who teaches in teaching. Teaching here is the teaching of truth, the teaching concerning the life of faith in Christ. This was so important in the early church as it is, of course, today. But in the first century, there were no Bible concordances, there were no Bible dictionaries, there was no internet, there was no electronic ways of finding cross-references. Many members couldn't even read and they didn't have their own Bibles. You see, reading was rare. Having a copy of the writings was rare. The teacher was in the position of vital importance for conveying the faith, the life of faith, to the people of God. And Paul says, he who teaches in his teaching. The teacher ought to be cognizant that, that, that teaching is a God-given gift. It hasn't been given for one's own self-satisfaction, but rather it's given for the people of God. Teaching and exhortation, of course, seem to fit Together. You see, the next gift in verse 8 is exhortation. A good teacher is often a good exhorter. However, I've known people who are good exhorters who are not prominent teachers in the church. You see, they're wonderful encouragers. They're people who get beside a person quietly and encourage them in their faith. They encourage people and such people not, not only stimulate others to embrace the truth and life of faith, they encourage them to do this as well, not only to teach them about it but to encourage them to live, to live it, to actually live it. And then in verse 8 Paul speaks of giving. He who gives with liberality. He speaks of those who contribute to the needs of others, who come to the aid of the poor freely, generously and not begrudgingly. And then he speaks of the gift of leadership. He leads with diligence. He's saying that those who are gifted with leadership in the church must not be sidetracked but remain diligent. And Paul is saying that those who are gifted with the abilities of leading the church need to be diligent and shouldn't be sidetracked in that work. And, of course, this has a special application in our setting for those who are elders in the church and for others who lead in different areas. 
And finally, he speaks of the gift of mercy. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. He's speaking of those who show compassion to those who are sick or to those who are suffering. And this has to be done cheerfully, not resentfully. Paul's point is simple. Whatever gift God has given you by way of personal abilities and resources and and also in, in one sense, well, in the true sense, through a spiritual gift, through a gift of the Spirit, is for the edification of the body of Christ. Your gift belongs to the body. It doesn't necessarily belong to you. We're not to hide our gifts under a bushel and nor are we to squander it. You are to use it for the body. You see, Christian humility compels us to serve one another. When we realise that we're part of the communion of saints, it requires us to serve one another. A realisation that everything that God has given us is actually given us for one another. And so this ought to oblige us to serve one another. Now, as I'm talking about gifts, some of you might be wondering, I wonder what my spiritual gift is? And that's a good question to ask if you're unsure. So may I encourage you to ask God for greater clarity here if you don't already know. The Lord has given liberally and he's given gifts. Every one of you has received a spiritual gift from the Lord. The Lord has given liberally and he's given gifts for each other, for the edification, for the building up of the communion of saints in the body of Christ, which is his church. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful grace, your mercy upon us. And Lord, we thank you that you are encouraging us to serve with humility and to serve one another. Lord, we We know that as we serve one another, we build one another up in the faith and we strengthen and advance your kingdom. Lord, help us indeed to serve and to love one another as you would have us do. And Lord, help us to use our gifts uh, that you've given each one of us for the advancement of your kingdom, beginning from this place and, and, and beyond. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at essendonpresbyterianchurch.org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.